Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the world, welcome to the very first episode of the Basketball Podcast. Let's start by introducing myself. My name is Jeremy Brenner. I am 22 years young, which makes me the perfect candidate to host a podcast about basketball history because I'm so obviously aware of everything that's happened since the beginning of time in the world of basketball. No, but I can say this, that I'm super fascinated by the past and I already talk about the present and future of the Houston Rockets over on the dreamshake.com, but I wanted a platform that would allow me to talk about the past and what better platform than the basketball podcast. So I started following basketball when I was about five or six years old, around 2003, 2004. And there was this guy named the big ticket, KG, Kevin Garnett. And he was the baddest dude on the court that season. And he led the Timberwolves to their best record in franchise history that season. And I have family from Minnesota. So I felt that this was the perfect first topic for the Passball Podcast. And there's no person better suited to come on to the podcast than Kyle Ratke, the one of the two hosts of 10,000 Layups here on the Basketball Podcast Network. Kyle, welcome to the show. You're the very first Basketball Podcast guest. How are you today? I'm doing well. I don't know it, what the Vegas odds would be lower of the Timberwolves being the first team talked about or in basketball history or me being the first guest. So I'm either way I'm honored. But you know, that's kind of why another reason why I wanted to do it is because I want to kind of discover the not so expected things to talk about. Like I, there's so many things that are talked about over and over and over again. Like we just saw the last dance last year where it talked about, you know, the 98 bulls. I feel like there's so many un unseen unheard of or forgotten parts about history and that's a lot of what i want to bring on the podcast is those really good teams those really good players that don't often get that same kind of recognition that are often you know kind of read over in in books in history books kind of thing but and, and i feel like this is no there's no more perfect topic than this one and that's a big reason why i wanted to start with the Timberwolves because I want to give attention and shine light on to a lot of the stories that aren't often the first one you think of. Like we saw the last dance uh, last summer. Uh, We saw, you know, the Golden State Warriors, obviously. Like there's obvious iconic dynasties that get a lot of attention. But on this show, I kind of want to shine some light on those that don't get as much attention like the Timberwolves. Yeah, and, and especially that 2004 season, um, because uh, you alluded to KG's MVP season, um, but it was like it, it was also like the peak of their powers of seven years in a row. They they hadn't gotten out of the first round of the playoffs. There's there's pressure on Flip Saunders, Kevin McHale, um, Kevin Garnett, right? And then finally this year and this the off season going into it, they just make like a flurry of moves and they get Cassell and you get Spreewell and you get. Um, you know, the, the year before, the, or, uh, uh, you know, Wally Zerbiak starts to come into his own. So, like, you have all these pieces in place, and they make it to the Western Conference Finals, and they, and they lose in six games to the Lakers. But, like, what makes it such an interesting story, I think, for, for probably the rest of the NBA, I don't think Timberwolves fans find it very interesting, is that 
they got so good, right? And and th there was all this promise, and then everything crumbled um, months later, like into the next season, like the pieces were falling apart. And then you enter the darkest time of Minnesota Timberwolves basketball history. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind of what we're going to be discussing over these next two episodes is the rise, the peak, and the fall. And so I want to start off with you, Kyle, because I know you you worked with the Timberwolves, correct? Yep. Yep. And where were you it, when it was 2003? What What is Kyle Racky doing in 2003? Take uh, me back. Let's, let's throw it back. He's 13 years old, um, probably picking his nose somewhere. <laughs> um, no, honestly, like, I, I, I think it's like I, I started to enjoy basketball a lot when I was probably like 12 or 13, right around this yeah. time. Um, I was actually at a game during that 2004 season. Um, I don't know which game it was, maybe 13, 14, but I think like there's this like thing that everybody wants to say that when they were super young, they remember all these things. And it's like people my age being like, I was the biggest Jordan fan. And it's like, well, you were like six, right? Like mm -hmm. it's like, well, you know, looking back, you can say you were, um, and you're, you have these like vivid memories, um, you know, of, of what you, you thought happened, but no, for, for me, like a lot of my, uh, fandom from this Timberwolves teams comes, you know, comes after the fact, like looking back and reading about it and watching these guys play um, during the moment. Like I, I can't tell you that I remembered every single play, but um, like when KG came back, when he got traded back to the Timberwolves uh, the first game against the, the wizards, um, I think the Timberwolves were like really bad that season. And uh, in true like flip flip Saunders fashion, he brings KG back in a trade that really didn't make sense for the Timberwolves. Uh, they traded that they, they trade him for KG and, but like seeing how electric target center was and seeing how much like somebody like him was missed and how much he meant to the team. Um, you know, it opens your eyes, but let's, let's go back to 2003. Um, you know, like, like we talked about where the Timberwolves were, right. They bring in Spreewell, they bring in Cassell, they, they have all these pieces and it, it's kind of this make or break season for the Timberwolves and it was a huge success. Yeah. Um, so coming into that season that you make, so let's just start with KG. Let's start with KG. Cause this KG, this team doesn't not get anywhere near the Western conference without KG. Talk, why was that season so different for KG compared to his previous years? And what clicked, like what was about the game that just clicked for KG that year and what made him so dominant? Cause I feel like, we really don't have that same kind of comparison. Like the, the whole power forward position has kind of died in today's NBA. Like every power forward now that's really good is like, would have been a three back in Oh three or would have, or, you know, sometimes now there are five. The, like KG was kind of in some ways, I guess one of the last really good power forwards. So what, what about KG's game made him so dominant that year? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with his teammates because, um, you know, when you get Cassell and Sprewell and all of a sudden the Timberwolves were on the national stage more. And um, I, I, I don't think, I don't necessarily think KG got all that much better that season. I think that people just started paying attention more. Um, you know, that season he averaged, uh, I mean, he was the MVP and the all-star MVP, but when your team wins 58, games you get into those conversations now it, it's funny you talked about the power forwards because like 
they're they're completely dead now. But in the mid two thousands, that was like, I mean, the bread and butter in the Western Conference. I mean, it was every night. It's like Chris Webber against KG and Tim Duncan against KG and Rasheed Wallace against KG. Like these are matchups that you watched every single night. Like, um, you know, like now you're watching. You know, whether you're watching in, in the West, Donovan Mitchell and, and Jamal Murray, or um, you know, I don't even want to talk about those guys in the same sentence as, as KG and Tim Duncan yet, but um, like those were the types of matchups that fans were going to see. So yeah, like maybe KG did get better, but I think a lot of it had to do with people were paying attention to what the Timberwolves were doing. Yeah. KG's numbers that season. So if we look back at 2002, 2003, the previous year, let me pull up KG stats here on my handy dandy uh, basketball reference window. But KG, in 2002-2003, he averaged a tw- 23 points per game and 13.4 rebounds with 6 assists. And in 2003-04, yeah, not much better, 24 a game, nearly 14 rebounds a game. That was a career best for KG with 5 assists. So, yeah, the numbers didn't really change a whole lot, but the success of the team did change. Yeah. And, and I mean, like you look at the pieces they brought in and, and like we talked about it. So you get Cassell, right. And you get him from Milwaukee for um, Anthony Peeler and Joe Smith and which looks like an absolutely no brainer now. Right. Um, and, and then you look back at, at the Spreewell trade and basically you get him for, for Terrell Brandon, who um, like at this point, his knees were, were shot. And yeah. I don't um, think Terrell Brandon ever played a game for yeah. Milwaukee after that. And I mean, you look at Spreewell and sure, like obviously he had his history and, um, you know, he, he was a huge piece of that Timberwolves team. Um, and obviously they'd, they'd run into problems with him, um, later on, which is, which is part of the fall. But, uh, I mean, everything really came together for that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about those trades. Like when, when you hear Minnesota Timberwolves acquire Sam Cassell, what, what are your thoughts? Like, is this, oh, this is a game changer. This is going to work. Oh, watch out for the Wolves now. Or is this a, you know, head scratcher? Like Sam Cassell at this point in his career, he's in his mid thirties. He's, you know, he hasn't made an all-star appearance. This is this one year, the 0304 Wolves, ironically enough, only all-star appearance for Sam Cassell in his career. So at this point, a, a, a good NBA player that's on the wrong side of 30. Is that is that kind of what you think you're getting in Sam Cassell? Or, or am I not correctly thinking that? Maybe maybe I'm thinking it incorrectly. To get a really good player, but you have no idea if it's going to work out. Um, because, and the thing is, like, again, with him, there like the fall off of his career isn't much after this season, right? Like, you know, you're getting these guys kind of for like one or two seasons, and then you're going to have to figure out what happens. But I think when you look at like what they gave, um, and I've talked about this before with like Anthony Peeler. I mean, yes, in today's NBA, Anthony Peelers are going to be a really good player because of the mm-hmm. three point shooting. But like, you know, Anthony player, Anthony Peeler wasn't a great player. And like, ironically, they face off against him against Sacramento and the series gets a little chippy. And, um, you know, they, they give up Joe Smith. Um, who is fine. Right. But like Joe Smith is not a game changer. Um, So like, yeah, I mean like in retrospect that the trade looks like a steal, but at the time you're right. Like they're getting a a player who's on the wrong side of his age, but um, obviously, you know, he he had his career best season. Um, 
and and then you know you're getting spree ball too the the, the thing is about the legacy and, and and what we can get to this later too it's like it's so tricky to to figure out where these guys fit in in like the timberwolves mount rushmore because they were only there for that one season and that's like all the memories we have of them um so it's, the, it's just, the best season in franchise history by a long shot. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. But, but I think like when people talk about, uh, you know, like the best players in Timberwolves history, um, it's just like this sad, true thing that like these guys are mentioned and it was only one season. And and that kind of goes to show like the, the book of Timberwolves basketball. Yeah. So if you look, if you look at the starting five from 0203, it's uh, Troy Hudson, Wally Zerbiak, Anthony Peeler sometimes, Kendall Gill sometimes, KG, and then uh, Rashan Asterovich. So in 0304, you're looking at Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell, Troy Hudson goes to the bench uh, to make room for Sprewell, right? Uh, Cassell. Or for Cassell, yeah. And then Trenton Hassel becomes the team. And then a mix of Irvin Johnson uh, and Olawa Candy at the center spot. And, of course, KG at the four. So that's a very different starting lineup. I mean, and it took them a while to get going with this starting lineup. Um, but what, like, when did you kind of notice, Kyle, that that something was turning? Something, something was going, this was not your typical Wolves season? Like when, around when during the season did you realize that everything was clicking? I mean, like probably as a pessimistic Wolves fan, it's when they beat Denver in the first round in five games because it's a, it's a right? Like it's a round you haven't gotten out of. So I think once you get out of that, you're like, okay. And, and you take care of business quickly. Um, I think you're getting the hope, but you no, know, you're like, you're a hundred percent. And like, unfortunately they didn't get the full season out of, out of Zerbiak, but um like, you know, you look at this team and like you even like think about if they played right now, like you had Cassell, he could shoot from the three point line. Um, you had Spreewell, you had Trenton Hassel, who like gets overlooked a lot um, as a just completely locked down defender. Um, and so like you had all these pieces that were fitting, like maybe centers their weakness. But when you have a guy like Kevin Garnett, like you don't need a super strong center. You can like. You, you can get away with that. And then you look at the bench and you have Troy Hudson, um, a very solid bench guy. And you've like, you have Fred Hoiberg and like all jokes aside for, you know, whether or not you think he's a good coach in Chicago, but like the dude shot 44% from the three point line. Like if he's a, if he's playing today, like the, the dude's launching like eight three pointers a game. Um, so like maybe this team's actually, they just played in the wrong era, but um no, I mean, like this was the team and you, you had just like so many guys that, that seemed like they fit perfectly. Um, of course you go up against like the, the, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, um, you know, it, it, like for Minnesota fans, it'll remind, it'll remind them of like uh, the Oh nine NFC championship. Like you play the saints, they, they, they win. Yeah. And then like, basically, you know, the winner of that game's probably going to win the super bowl. So, um, you know, I mean, like, like, it, this was like Kevin Garnett's year. And then, then like he, he wins all-star MVP. And maybe that's when you're thinking like, okay, like let's go. Another shot. Yeah. Yeah. So this team also like despite their success or despite all these injuries, this team had a lot of success. 
obviously Zerbiak, who was an all-star, I believe two years prior, and Troy Hudson, who was primarily the starting point, uh, starting two guard, right, in the previous season. They're both, you know, spending most of the season on the bench because they can't stay healthy. So did they, like, they adopted that next man up mentality, and how how important was that for the Wolves that year? Well, I mean, yeah, like it was like the next man up because um, Zerbiak only played in 28 games. Hudson played in 29. Um, but then you look at the, the guys that did step up and I mean, like some, some of the guys that filled in their place, right? Like Keith McLeod, Derek Martin, like these aren't guys that actually even played that well in their place. It was more of like, OK, Cassell, Spreewell, Garnett, like you guys are going to have to do more. And like, you know, Ola Candy gets a lot of you know, a lot of shade because, because where he was drafted, um, he was actually productive in the, in this season for the Timberwolves. And um, like, maybe if you have one more fringe guy and uh, Zerbiak came back in the playoffs, but, but clearly he wasn't, um, you know, to where he was um, and and he ended up hurting his back. But like, um, you know, I I think it was one of those things where it's like, instead of um, maybe going super deep, it was just, you know, very, very top heavy. And those guys, took took on more of a load. Mm-hmm. So you're you made it to the playoffs. You're the number one seed. What are your thoughts when you realize holy expletive, the wolves are number one in the West? Well it's like don't screw this up, right? Like it's like yeah. whatever we do, let's not lose in the first round. Um like we can't lose to the Nuggets, I think is is probably the like, you know, they lose game three, they get blown out in Denver, but, um, you know, they, they take care of business after that. Yeah. I mean, so that, I guess that's that series and, you know, Denver's big commodity is they got Carmelo Anthony, mm-hmm. right? So that, that year was kind of like, okay, MVP KG against young buck Carmelo Anthony, who isn't even the, who isn't even the rookie of the year. Cause of course you have LeBron who isn't in the playoffs, but, uh, you know, D-Wade made the playoffs that year, and he was – D-Wade was on another level. That should be another, you know w- – once we get, like, a Miami guy on here, I want to talk about that 016 because I feel like that team does not get a whole lot of uh, respect either. But, I mean, because, look, you got Wally back, right? So is there a sense that it's like, okay, we can make a legit run here, or is it kind of just – were you expecting to make the finals or were you expect like, what was your, what was your, like, if you predicted the future from April, whatever, 2004, what do you think the wolves are going to do? Um, I, I think it's, you're, you're looking at, it's going to be a complete bloodbath against the kinks. Um, like, cause if, if the wolves had a rival um, in the two thousands, it was the Kings. It was Mike Bibby. It was Chris Weber, Peja, Doug Christie, um, Vlade, like, you know, Anthony Peeler was with, with, uh, the Kings now. And like, so I think there was a sense of like, okay. I mean, and you, you talk about revisionist history, man. I mean, like you, you talk about a team that probably should have won an NBA finals in, in the West. It's probably the Kings. Um, cause like I, growing up, it was always in, in the West. It was always, uh, you know, the Spurs would get, they wouldn't expect that they deserved the, it was always the Kings and the Lakers that like you watch sports center, you go home and it's like, you know, what's going to happen. And so, so the Timberwolves were joining this conversation um, 
you know, and there really wasn't a discussion at this time on who was better but it's between Weber and, and KG. But I think like the sense around was just like, okay, this is going to be crazy. Um, because like, I think the Timberwolves went to Sacramento and, uh, you know, for, for some of the older fans, they'll remember the cowbells that they had in Sacramento mm-hmm. and Flip Saunders actually wanted to replicate that at target center. Um, so he, so he, right. Like he had them, like he had the, the staff, like hand out these cowbells and uh, sure enough, like Minnesota were like way too nice and, and um, passive. And we don't want to like hurt anybody's feelings. Like the first game or whatever, like nobody did it. They didn't really know what to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think the sense was like, this is going to be a really, really good series. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if you look at this, Minnesota ended with 58 wins. They were the number one seed. San Antonio was one game back with 57 wins. Then you have the Lakers, 56 wins, and the Kings, 55 wins. So you're you're noticing a very solid uh, tier difference between the top four and everybody else. It's It's one of these four teams are going... You know, each of these four teams should advance past the first round. And they all did, you know, in five games with the exception of the Spurs who did it in four. So you could tell that it was going to be a bloodbath between, you know, the the Wolves and the Kings and the Spurs and the Lakers. And it can honestly go any other way. And we got, you know, very good series in the second round. And let's talk about the Sacramento series, because I think this is kind of where we enter the peak part of this story where the wolves face the king. So you talk about Anthony Peeler and you mentioned earlier about how that series got chippy. Kind of can you kind of walk me th- walk us through that and you know how much a chippy series like that can you know affect the outcome? Yeah, and I, I mean like well I mean first off like you have Peeler who wants to no matter what he wants to come in and he wants to make the team regret trading him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in game one, you have uh, Sam Cassell puts up 40 points and, you know, and, and it's like, okay. Uh, but it, it granted it's, it's a, it's a wolves loss. So they, they lose one Oh four to 98. Um, yeah. All of these games are close though. Like only like, you know, the, the first three games are decided by six points, five points, one point, six points. So like, and and these are teams that for the last you know seven eight years know each other um, very with, well. With they know exactly they they know each other so well, um, and it's you know it's it's something that we see all the time in series where you get to the sixth or seventh game and um, like these teams absolutely hate each other, and we were able to see it this year in 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 uh, the bubble right where these teams are just like so sick of being around each other and playing each other. Um, and then I think like you finally get to this game seven that everybody's waiting for. And these are like two of the best offenses in the league. And um, it, the score's 83 to 80. Right. And like, if you were like with, between those two teams, it seems like that should be the, the score at the end of the third quarter. Um, so like, in like KG's, I mean, his game seven, um, 32 points, 21 rebounds, four assists, five blocks. I mean, like, what like you look at that stat line and you're like oh my like your your team scored 83 points how did you have those numbers and that is like the ultimate kg um you know we can tell a million stories about like kg's um you know his mentality uh 
in basketball and how serious he took it. And this was a series where uh, I think he got in a little bit of trouble for, you know, basically saying he's ready for war and he was comparing, you know, and you, you get a lot of flack for comparing basketball um, to war. And like, that wasn't what he was thinking, right? Like he's not, he's not comparing that to, to going to a real war, but like for KG, this was it. Like you watched him play and like, this was his everything. He cared so much, probably an unhealthy amount, but like he absolutely willed the wolves uh, to, to, to this victory. And like, you know, afterwards he was just obviously so overcome with emotion. And like, I think the lasting picture from this series is him standing on the, he's standing on the target center broadcast stage and he's waving that towel. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think everybody thinks that, you know, KG just jumped on there by himself. His let emotions took over. And like, he actually, it's a funny story. He actually asked like the director of PR, like, what do I do? Like he was just so overcome with emotion. Like he got the Timberwolves to this spot. They're going to the Western conference finals. And I think, you know, the PR guy basically said like, thank the fans. Right. So KG goes up there and, you know, that was his thing with the towel. Um, So I, I like, super 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 chippy series um overcome with emotion i think everybody was like that last game and um for people watching the game fred hoiberg has a pretty good quote about this but like he was watching chris weber's three-point shot and if like he was he said that he was right behind him and he was like that that shot's for sure going in like you know we're going to overtime and you know the ball hits every part of the rim and, and it doesn't go in but like you know, what, what a different conversation this is. And like, I I know, I think it's easy for people to laugh and say like the Timberwolves are celebrating getting to the Western conference finals. Um, But like for this team, that that's, that's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's uncharted territory. You're already in uncharted territory being in the second round. And then you obviously come out of that series, such a, such as, I think that's one of those series though, that, you know, doesn't, get a whole lot of you know that series in itself has three or four games that are just certified classics like instant classics from from when like from when the game ended you knew that was going to be it like you go back to game three with uh with pages uh three to tie the game in uh game three and then that game goes to overtime the wolves come out on top in overtime and then of course game seven uh where that, you know, where you just, you just pick, painted that picture, Kyle. So, you know, that series is the peak. This is the, this is the peak of the Wolves' success, winning and advancing to the conference finals. And it's a shame when you get to the peak, because when you get there in a story or in, you know, a hike or whatever, the only way to go is down. And that's what we'll be discussing on the next episode of the Passable Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into our first episode. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to your podcast app of choice so that you don't miss a single episode of the Passable Podcast. Throwing out two episodes a week. So the second half of this story that we are discussing with the 0304 Wolves will be available later this week so you go check that out make sure you subscribe to that podcast so that you don't miss it when it comes out you can follow me on twitter at jeremy brenner that's j-e-r-e-m-y b-r-e-n-e-r thank you so much to mr kyle racky for coming on twitter uh feel free to uh 
drop your Twitter handle and uh, plug your podcast while you're at it. Yeah. Uh, g- give me a follow on Twitter, Kyle underscore Ratke. Um, and our 10,000 layups podcast uh, will be live soon. Julian Andrews and I, we talk everything Timberwolves uh, and, and a lot of other stuff because in, in mid-February when the, the Timberwolves are really bad, we need other things to talk about. So yeah, go check that out. All right. Thank you so much for this episode of the Passball Podcast for tuning in. Uh, be sure to also follow the Basketball Podcast Network on Twitter at HoopsPodNet. Uh, that's HoopsPodNet, H-O-O-P-S-P-O-D-N-E-T. Thank you so much. And uh, until next time, basketball fans, rewind and be kind. <laughs> <laughs>